Hey, everybody. We have a, uh, a sponsor to talk to you guys about quick. We've had them on the show a few times. We've seen them at the Grid Life Paddocks for the past couple years. Uh, really good people and uh, really, really cool products and cars and services. So Fields Auto Works, uh, fun cars to drive and own, serious track performance, uh, a lot less hassle, cost, consumables. Um, they have uh, they make their own cars, and very cool stuff. If you haven't heard, listen back to the one with Rob Fields. We talk about a lot of the details of the Cardinal. Uh, extremely unique, affordable for the performance that you get. Like a, I don't know, it's probably like a fifth of the cost of a GT3 and runs about as fast as one. Uh, easy performance upgrades like wheels, tires, boost, tune, aero stuff, even engine swaps, I'm sure. Uh, three performance level offerings, the S300, the Cardinal, and the Scioto. Uh, which is gorgeous, by the way. That car is amazing looking. Um, opportunities for build spots uh, are limited, and uh, they are building cars right now. They've taken orders. Uh, we have seen one of the uh, earlier production ones at a bunch of Grid Life events. Really, really cool. The Cardinals got great vintage vibes, uh, modern Mustang underpinning, and uh, like probably half or less of the weight of, uh, of a modern Mustang. So your bearings, your hubs, your everything lasts a long time. Uh, and Fields Engineering, uh, full motorsports services are available. Shop services for large projects. Arrive and drive stuff uh, services for your own car or one of theirs. Uh, engineering, design, and small-scale fab work and production. Composites fab work. Um, and it puts the combined expertise of aerospace engineers, IndyCar builders, IMSA crew chiefs, and uh, more on their staff, on their crew, uh, at your fingertips, which is uh, hard to find and really, really great prep shop work. Uh, super cool people to have trackside, uh, and they let me steal their tools when I need them, which is great for me. So, so uh, uh, if you uh, if you want to check out FieldsAutoWorks.com, uh, really, really cool people. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Slip Angle. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Fields Auto Works. Uh, Rob's been on the show before, and he does custom race cars. They have uh, currently three models. The Cardinal, uh, which you have, may have already seen at the track. The Scioto, which uh, speaks to me. It, like, it really speaks to me. I, I think in the words of James May, it gives me the fizz. And... Uh, also, the uh, Roadster, the Series 300 Roadster. So these cars are obviously fun to drive. Um, they've got just incredible track performance with way less hassle and cost. Um, they're affordable and they're unique because they're bespoke race cars. And uh, they're easily upgradable. So they've got three different uh, performance level op offerings, which I've alluded to already. And uh, the opportunities for build spots are limited, and they're already moving ahead on deliveries. Uh, additionally, they've got a, another business that you might also be familiar with, is Fields Engineering. This is full motorsports uh, service available with shop services for large projects. Uh, also, arrive and drive services, uh, including engineering design and small-scale production. They do composite fa fabrication 
and uh, they also can combine their various areas of expertise to go to work for you. And so uh, Rob's been in the GLTC field as a uh, kind of a crew chief for, I believe, the last couple of years, um, uh, piloting or um, servicing a, an E36 M3 that's Colton Wade driving the field's auto, or excuse me, field engineering car. Um, but you can find them in the field at any GLTC event. And we really uh, recommend that you reach out to them if you're interested in a unique race car build. On the line today, I have James Houghton, who uh, used to time attack and he used to record podcasts. But all he does now is iRace and GLTC sometimes. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> I really, I appreciate that introduction. It was, uh, I, I liked that you delayed a little bit there just to, uh, just to let that put down sink in. I wasn't sure if you were going to say welcome or not. So I was like, well, I, I was the, like, the, the fact welcome. that you are welcome should be uh, assumed. <laughs> I apologize to everyone about the podcast. Realistically, I have no, no immediate time of when, when, our podcast. Well, I mean, uh, being honest, you're kind of a washed up time attacker at this point. It's been, Ooh. it's been years since you've, since you've, uh, you've gone out and competed in an event. Yeah. There might be a car coming to Midwest festival for me to drive. I will believe it when I see it. And it might be the most zany street mod car that anyone would ever guess. Well, um, that I guess that could be true, but is it is it more unique than the K Swap Swift, which was the rowdiest car that I think we have ever seen in the field ever? I think that the K Swap Swift is definitely unique, but not as unexpected as this car would be in Street Mod. Interesting. It will have to have its rear tires significantly downsized to fit. Well, uh, the only car that I can think of then would be some kind of Viper. I hope it's a Viper. It's not a Viper. Well, then. But that's a good idea, too. I like that. Yeah. Take those 355s off the ACR and put on some 285s. Uh, it, it, there's, I mean, Ferris made 285 AO52s work, so any anything can be made work. I suppose that's true. Um uh. You recently drove at Coda, and I've got a backlog of, of episodes to release, and so we're not even through um, the number that I recorded for that event. But you were—we uh, missed an opportunity to record a show when we were together in Austin, and I hadn't seen you in person for two years, essentially. And so, uh, how was your weekend? The best and the worst. Highs and lows, yeah. I mean, isn't that usually the case? seems like that's so. I feel like it's because I'm like a time attacker at heart. Then my wheel-to-wheel weekends are just like have to be kind of time attack-esque. Does that mean that uh, uh, stuff has to break constantly and you're like thrashing to try and get something back together to get back out on track? I mean, that did happen. We have a very serious goal for that not to happen, and we are – have many things in the works before Midwest to try to improve on that. Uh, but it, it did happen. So tell me about uh, what happened in practice and in qualifying. So 
that pavement. So I've driven at quite a few different racetracks when the pavement was very, very fresh. I've driven at uh, one, two, three, four, five. I've driven at five tracks now where the pavement was, to my understanding, only a few weeks old. I've driven at Mosport GP track. I've driven at their small driver's development track. I drove at Watkins Glen within a couple weeks of their latest repave. And I drove at VIR within a couple weeks of their latest repave. Those uh, Watkins Glen and VIR were about five years ago, give or take. And... I was not impressed with VIR or Watkins Glen. Mosport was fine, but it didn't feel superhuman or anything like that. Uh, driver's development track, again, at Mosport was meh, you know, whatever. The pavement at Coda was shockingly grippy. Like, it was on another level. I've never driven on something that seemed so obnoxiously different from what it was beforehand. That's amazing. Um, it and you know i know that there's different mixes you know first of all we had sunny cold weather which is very good and especially in the morning and i'm sure that you know with f1 and all the big big series that go there i'm sure that they're you know trying to put very very high quality um asphalt down um but we went out on the no one knew what to expect everyone had heard the pavement was faster and i don't think anyone really knew what to expect the pole record was what twenty nine one, and race record was twenty eight nine, I believe, Abe, from something, last year. Something like that, yeah. So we figured, you know, they've slowed the, you know, the, the the street tires are narrower. There's no bonus for street tires anymore. Uh, I my kind of thought going in into the weekend was, you know, if we can do twenty eights, we're in pretty good shape. Continental uh, gave us a set of their. I, I always forget the name of the new one. It's like their Enduro 200 Treadwear tire. Okay. They sure. gave us a set of those to test. We were excited to try them. We did like a 130 flat immediately, like first lap with all changes to the car and different tires that I'd never driven on. And then it did a like a high 29 on the second lap. And we were still going through some things and, and some checks. So we came back in and I thought, well, if the Falcon is a second to a second and a half faster than this, then we're probably there right off the bat. So that's cool. Um, so we did a couple more laps on the Contis. Again, they felt good. Uh, we put the Falcons on. Uh, for We figured we'll do one session at the end of the test day. And I made two major errors on the lap and did a 29-0. And I thought, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. I must be in pretty good shape. And then the rumor has it that in the paddock that there was like six cars that did a 28 or something like that. And I was like, oh, gosh, you know, we're, we're fine, but we're not, you know, we're not OP or anything like that. Um, but we had a few things to go over again. You know, we had we hadn't been to a JLTC event in two years. We had been campaigning the car north of the border, uh, but there was a bunch of changes. I kind of. I kind of, we kind of threw the, threw the book at it over the winter time because there was still a bunch of things that I was just not quite, you know, thrilled with still a few improvements that we wanted to make. So, um, there was a bunch of untested stuff. Uh, so we went really over the car again that night, make sure everything was ready to go for the next morning. And the next morning I did kind of one sighting lap. Well, first of all, I did. I don't know if anyone's seen the video, but first of all, on the laps, I did a complete 360 and continued coming out of turn 19, which was I saw quite comical. Um, so that was kind of eye opening. So after I did that, my first flyer that started about 10 seconds well, later. Can I can I interrupt? Yes. So uh, I think you had said that the setup of the car made the warm up 
you said, I think you called it diabolical. Maybe that that's is the word I used. Okay. That so tell me about, tell me about the experience. Like what, what about the setup and what in the setup uh, makes the car that way? And how does that dissipate as the tires warm up? So in a front wheel drive car, especially one with no arrow or I'm not going to call it no arrow because we've worked very hard to make as much 0% downforce as we can make. Um, but in my opinion on a street tire, and it'll be interesting to see how the other front wheel drive guys kind of, you know, decide on this when, when they get out to events, um, to keep the front tires from overheating, you really, in my opinion, have to keep the car set up very loose. Um, because the back end, yes, it's going to kind of skate around a little bit, but that typically is going to keep heat out of the front tires. Um, I wasn't, didn't feel like we quite had some, uh, quite had the car as loose as it needed to be at the end of last year, even though uh, we were um, pretty aggressive with our rear alignment settings and we had our rear sway bar set as stiff as it could go. So we made some wholesale changes to the way the rear sway bar worked. And I'm on the radio to Mitch first first corner on uh, on Friday morning saying, yeah, well, the rear sway bar works now. I can instantly feel that the car had huge uh, increase in rear roll stiffness. Um, and, you know, I think that it's, it's where it needed to be. Um, we were still falling off more than, than Andy and, and Jeremy were in, in that race number one. But, uh, you know, that's just kind of, part of the game with a front wheel drive car. I mean, front wheel drive is cool. I, I love it. I've done it for a race front wheel drive forever, but it is not the way, you know, it is in a perfect world. You don't choose front wheel drive for, for, for a race car like that, in my opinion. But, uh, I do it but that's I, exactly I, what you did. I do it because I love it. Not because I think it's the fastest. That's fair. I and, did, I think that, I think that it was the fastest when we got a 3% penalty for it or for, sorry, a 3% bonus for it, but at a 1% bonus, if I was building a car and I could start with any chassis I want today, I definitely would not t- choose a front-wheel drive car with only a 1% bonus for GLTC. Well, I, I think one could one could definitely argue that uh, uh, 1% is, is certainly better than zero, but the question is, do you need any? Oh, I mean... If you look at the if you look at the last couple laps, I think you know Andy's second last lap was one second faster than mine or something like that. Um, so I think that 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 proves it right there. I got by him early on because he made a little error, not because my car was faster. Um, so uh, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how things play out throughout the year. But um, I do think that a front wheel drive car, you know, it was a fairly cool weekend. And as the events get hotter, the penalty for a car that I'm not even going to call it just a front wheel drive car, the penalty for a car that doesn't have a very balanced weight distribution will be more of a penalty throughout the season. And I think as the temperatures get hotter, a car that's got very, very close to 50, 50 weight distribution and is pretty easy on its tires. uh, The benefits for that are going to get greater and greater and greater. Are you you currently running a stagger setup? Uh, Yes. What were the, the dimensions? Uh, we were running 285, 3018 in the front and 255, 3518 in the back. Uh, we could have run either 265 with the 285 or 295 with the 255. 
Um, but in the Falcon that we, we chose to run for the weekend, they did not have a 295 in a tire short enough for us. So we uh, took the penalty and, and uh, not, not the penalty, but we, we didn't optimize as far as running a 285 instead of a 295. Got it. And so uh, you, you talked a little bit about practice. Uh, how did qualifying go? Or did, did you already talk about qualifying? I didn't talk about practice or qualifying yet. So as soon as I did that 360, we got going. I did a, I did a kind of a gentle first lap in practice. And I just wanted to let the, the, the rear tires come up to temp. And I went for it in the, the, the second lap of practice. And uh, I think my first lap was a 29 or something like that. And I was watching the theoretical, probably more than you should. I would never teach someone to watch it as much as I was watching it. But I started to see this this time go down and down and down, and I'm you know come off the back straight, turn twelve, and it's you know deep into the twenty sevens, and I'm thinking this is this is insane. I don't know. I wonder how fast you know. In my mind, I'm kind of thinking, I wonder how fast other guys are going at the same time. And um, I caught uh, the green C five Corvette in sixteen, seventeen, eighteen complex. Okay. Okay. And I went around the outside of him, and still managed to do a twenty seven three. Good grief. Which was which was fastest in practice, and I thought, man, we're in, we're in pretty good shape here. Jeremy, good old Jeremy, we love Jeremy. Jeremy told me that he put it all on the line in practice, and then proceeded to go uh, a second and a half faster in qualifying, uh, even though that lap that you know ended up being a track limits lap. But I think that he could have gone, you know, just the same time as he did in, in qualifying, um, as as he did, even if he didn't have that track limit issue at exit of 19. So we go out and qualifying. Uh, I get a little bit crossed up in, in turn one. And I just kind of try to put a banker down. It was not, it was not a great lap. It was a 29. Um, and I just made a whole lot of mistakes on my second lap. I ended up doing a, I believe a 27, seven, uh, looking at the data, uh, 26s were definitely there. Um, just looking at the, the 27, three and the 27, seven, together but uh it was good enough for p3 and so we started sorry it was technically good enough on track i don't know if we've talked about this yet or if you talked about this with anyone else yet Abe. but uh it was technically good enough for p5 but jeremy's fastest lap was scrubbed micaiah's wing was too wide uh so that put us p3 for the start of the race um and so we were bumped so Sorry, now, so now you're, you're set up for P3. Um, I think that puts you on inside track, right? For race that's, one. That's uh, correct. So what, what's the strategy going into race one? So I'm kind of excited because at the pace that they, they usually have us roll, um, I would be right in the meat of the power band for second gear. And I don't know. I don't know if there's, I shouldn't even say the pace that they usually, the pace that I experienced that we rolled at last year was right in the meat of second gear for me and i don't know if tom knew that that would be bad for me or what but he kept creeping and creeping and creeping and the speed kept picking up and up and just before we went green i actually had to grab the next gear because i was kind of oh, brutal <laughs> and i was like oh tom you got me it felt like he it felt like he was like reading my mind that he knew that i was too high in the rpms um and then Jeremy got kind of, I kind of showed my nose through the middle between uh, between Tom and Andy in a turn one, and that gap closed up, and I just kind of backed out of it. And I, I feel like when, when people force the, force the issue in turn one too much at Coda, especially on lap one, they get kind of, um, 
kind of bound up and they don't get a good drive off the exit because yeah, they're too close to the beca- car. And everyone else around them is working on getting a better exit. Yeah. So, you know what? I, I, I realized that this wasn't going to work. I kind of tried to back out a bit of back out of it a little bit and figured I'm going to get a good run off, run off, um, which I did. And I managed to, I think Jeremy had to check out for Andy a little bit and I was able to get around the outside of Jeremy in turn two. And then uh, Tom and Andy raced each other pretty hard. And uh, I don't know if that affected the outcome of that race or not, but uh, I give credit to Tom and Andy for, for not worrying about, you know, who's going to win or not, but they just wanted to race. And uh, I appreciate that. And uh, so we get to the back straight on the first lap. And I show my nose on the inside of Andy. And just as I'm showing my nose to him, uh, he shows his nose to Tom. And I think I'm not going in there three wide on, on lap one. Uh, I, I thought, you know, Adam and Scott have both explicitly talked about dive bombing people on turn one. And I said, I'm definitely not going to be the one to sh- shove it three wide. Um, and Andy got a little bit crossed up coming out of turn 12. I got on the inside or in between Andy and Tom, I got that spot and we ended up getting, uh, Tom on the back straight on the next lap. And I pulled a little bit of a gap after that, but, uh, towards the end of that race, uh, Andy was definitely getting closer and closer and closer. And, uh, I think if it was, uh, not for Jeremy racing him pretty hard on the last couple of laps, I think that I might've been in a bit of trouble there, but, uh, we live to we live to fight another day. So, where did you finish? Uh, we we won our first race back after two years. Man, I bet that felt good. Oh, to to sleep on that that night. Uh, I said to the guys, I said, you know, you know, pretty much whatever happens after this, it doesn't really matter that much. I said, you know, we've we can fix reliability issues, we can fix all sorts of issues. Uh, but it's a lot harder to find pace when you don't have pace. Sure. Uh, yeah. And we worked very and hard to try to. I, I don't want to say that the series has evolved, but the competition certainly has matured, I guess, in GLTC because oh, you, for sure. you were, uh, of course, at an event very early um, yeah, in GLTC. But in the absence, uh, the, the many competitors have come into the series and have uh, put together and optimized cars for the class and so you're you're kind of watching from the sidelines but you're still working on the car and you're doing events locally but i'm sure it was excruciating to watch people uh compete in events for several seasons in your absence yeah for sure i mean all of 2020 uh post coda and then all of 2021 it's a lot of events that we watch in the live stream and you know a lot of sadness watching those events i mean happy that everyone was having a good time but sad that we weren't there to join um, but you know, we, we kind of use that energy and put it towards, uh, making, making any sort of improvements that we felt like we could. And I tried to judge some of those improvements that we were trying to make, you know, by how the racing was happening. And, um, we actually put the car, you know, we, we kept the car in, uh, well, I shouldn't say that for a little bit, we got the car out of GLTC spec in 2020, but end of 2020, we put the car back in a GLTC spec. And then with the rules changed in 2021, allowing a bit wider tires and stuff like that, we kept up to that and we scaled the tires up um, and the power, I think the power changed a little bit. So we were kind of trying to keep on top of all of those things and, uh, and trying to find pace with those rule changes. And uh, we did, I mean, we get kept on going faster and faster and faster with the car up in Canada. 
but you're always kind of worried, uh, is it enough? <laughs> and I still don't know that it is. I, you know, I'm, we managed to win one race, but, uh, you know, people were definitely breathing down our necks. So we'll have to see. Well, throughout and the, it, the season. it seemed like for you, at least racing was uh, zero sum for the weekend. So you, uh, you have this fantastic race one and things are going swimmingly on Saturday and then Sunday rolls. Sunday rolls. And we, we do our standing start race and, uh, tricky, tricky in our car with the way the gearing is. Um, first is definitely too short and second is definitely too long. Um, I chose, chose the, I, what I felt was the safe mood of, move of just launching in second gear. Cause I figured, well, if I bog, at least it's not going to, you know, break an axle wheel hopping or something like that. Um, so we got a mediocre launch. And uh, I guess that was probably what turn seven. A little, we had a little contact with Tom, and uh, luckily there was was it wasn't a major issue, and everyone got through okay. Um, and we had a little bit of a breaking up uh, later on that lap. I rolled through pit lane because it was seemed fairly serious at the beginning, and I shut the car off and fired it back up, and it seemed to be okay. And I thought, well, we'll just keep you know, we'll get back out there and keep rolling because with GLTC finishing position is so important for your starting position for the next race. And I thought, you know what? It doesn't seem too, too bad. Um, maybe I'll try to get through this race, even though it was breaking up here and there and sometimes fairly badly. Um, and we had had, we had a coil coil issue before on the Integra. And I thought, well, maybe it's just a coil, um, breaking up a little bit. And I kept driving through this breakup and, uh, I think we had just got the white flag, and uh, I went through turn one, and it was just smoke everywhere. And at that point, I went, ooh, I guess that that might have been worse than just a, a coil issue. And we got it back to pit lane and uh, pulled the plugs out of it, and it ended up being a, a burnt piston. I guess we had some sort of an injector uh, injector or injector plug or something like that failure. That's and frustrating. Very frustrating. I mean, you, you go from so high to so low, uh, but morale was still pretty good in the pit in, in our team pit there you know we felt like we still had come and kind of done what we had really wanted to do we had proved that we had kind of kept that, up that with you're the back basic at, le at least right yeah yeah if i mean if we had had that problem in race one leading it would have still been okay you know because we would have seen that we had pace but to, to be able to get that checkered flag for race one was it was big for sure um and so you so, spent the next like what four hours doing a swap yeah, I mean, we kind of, at first we were trying to think, can we get the car ready for the next race? But there was just, our spare engine was not dressed, um, and it will be dressed the, by the time by the time Gingerman rolls around. We're going to have a completely dressed engine, clutch, flywheel, trans, water pump, everything, ready to, ready to go in. Probably on a, it will take about a one hour to do a changeover at that point. But uh, when you have an engine that still needs to have a water pump put on and, you know, uh, thermostat housing and an upper coolant port and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It ends up taking, you know, a fair amount of time, clutch swapped over, transmission swapped over and stuff like that. Um, so we knew that we weren't going to make it, even though the guys had the engine out in about 20 minutes, they made that car really, really serviceable. Um, and they had it out, like I say, in about 20 minutes. But like I say, there were so many things to change over. Um, and we just kind of wanted to really establish what was the cause of the issue and make sure we weren't going to have the issue again on this brand new engine that Mitch had literally just 
finished building that week. And so you're not using, um, like these engines are not just, uh, like $800 junkyard motors, are they? No. The problem is, is I got a little bit, so I like to have the flexibility with more RPMs for different tracks because I'm very passionate about gear ratios and everything like that. And if you have more RPMs, it's, it's makes your potential for your gearing to be even better. Um, so we were revving our stock engine that we came to 2020 with uh, way, way too high as far as I'm concerned for that. Uh, we got away with it for a long time, but in general, eventually we're probably going to have problems. So our first engine, we were revving about 8,600 RPMs. Um, and that's a lot for a stock K24. Uh, so I wanted to have a little bit of insurance and our plan was always to build a motor for JLTC. But then when the border closed and it looked like it was going to be closed for an extended period of time, I thought, well, why don't we have some fun and we'll put a, a K20 head on this at the same time and we'll put another set of cams in it. Um, so the motor that, the, that that uh, had the problem at Coda on ethanol has actually made a uh, 290 wheel before. Good grief. Uh, yeah, we had it detuned down to 230. Um, but yeah, it's made 290. Uh, we were just running it on pump gas. It's only made 280 on pump gas, but still a pretty good number. Um, For sure. and, it, and it's not a crazy, a crazy combo. It's still a ported RBC and it's still a, an unported head and it's got drag cartel 2.2 cams in it and stuff like that. But uh, it's still a pretty basic build, but just a, a good combination of parts and a really strong power band. For sure. Um, so we had the we had the exact clone of that motor. That's That was always our plan. And we're like, well, there's no point in having a different motor if it's not if it's not a full clone. Because then what are you going to do tune-related, right? So if you've got an absolute clone of it, then you can run the same tune and not have to worry too much about it. Right, right. Um, so yeah, so we put the other motor in, uh, we started from the back to race four, just, just kind of for fun really at that point. I mean, the weekend was done, uh, DNF in, in race two and a DNS in race three. And that's pretty much it for the weekend. No, for sure. And I, and I said to Mitch, I said, you know, we don't have to do this. And he's like, well, we got to change it back at the shop anyways. And we're all here. So <laughs> this, this will take less time away from the shop when we get back. And if we get it back out for race four, great. And if there's something we don't like by the sounds of it, when we fire it up, then we won't run it. Um, so we took the green for race four and uh, we put a new set of injectors in thinking that it might've been an injector problem. Uh, and I think it ended up being part of the injector wiring that was the problem um, because it was good for a full lap and going into the turn seven area, the same spot that we had had contact on the, in the morning session. I just heard it break up ever so slightly. And you know what? It might have come back and been fine, but I just heard it for like less than less than a split second. And I just immediately shut it off. I was like, I am not hurting two motors in one day. Oh, yeah, that, that would chance. be a rough, rough day. I think the discretion yeah. there is probably bring the car back home safe and uh, figure it out for the next race. Yeah. So I, it was, if it was a, uh, if we were in a point situation for a weekend, I might have let it, you know, break up for more than one second. But in that scenario, I was like, we have absolutely nothing to gain here. So I'm just happy that, you know, seemingly we're in good shape and the car's back together and hopefully ready to race for um, AMP for the next weekend for AMP with with, uh, you know, just some some small buttoning up here and there. So I just shut it down and uh, we pulled the plugs out of it. Everything looked fine and we put the plugs back in. And before we loaded it up and, and started up and ran it, and everything sounded 
super great. So, um, so we've got, um, I've only got a couple minutes left before I have to run, but we're a few weeks out from AMP. Is the car going to be, uh, configured the same or are there, um, changes to, to strategy for a completely different layout? Uh, if I had other options, uh, I might I might try some different things. If I owned a wing, I would probably consider putting it on because it's pretty free. Um, but I don't own a wing for it, so we're going to stick with our with our methodology that we've used for that car. We're going to calm the rear alignment settings down a little bit, at least until we get a bit more comfortable with that track because uh, lots of very close walls around that place, so we're definitely not going to go um, as aggressive with our alignment specs as we did at at Coda, but I'm super excited. We have a very, very, very quiet exhaust for it. So we should be in good shape there. I like and the way that uh, muffled K 24 sound, to be honest, this one doesn't even really make a sound. This one's got three inline mufflers. We built it for, <laughs> we built it for a track up North of the border called Calabogie. And I was worried cause it's quite a few hours away. I was worried that we would get there and it would be, um, you know, borderline. And it ended up being so much quieter that they, they didn't even test it. Like you normally at Calabogie, you normally have to go to this little booth and they, uh, and they test it and then they give you a sticker to, 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 uh, to pass you. And he's like, okay, rev it to X RPMs. And he just laughed and he put the sticker on the windshield. It is <laughs> very, very quiet. So well, that's exciting. Yeah. So it'll be kind of neat that we don't have to hopefully worry too, too much about that. And we can uh, we can just get out and try to learn the track and have some fun. And I'm a little bit nervous because I don't think that the the car will will shine there as well as I think it will at some other places. But uh, it's just you know after after being away for so long, we can't uh, stand the idea of missing anything. So we're going to try to hit as many events this year as we possibly can. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I expect that I'll be down there on Thursday night, and perhaps we can finish the rest of this podcast. Uh, when we get there or maybe just uh, record another one who knows that sounds like a great plan thanks a lot for being on the show and uh, look forward to seeing you soon thanks so much thanks everyone slip angle was created by austin cabot and adam jubay co-hosted by Derek yarbrough and production by abram schmucker who mixes all of our terrible audio if you like the show please rate us and review us on itunes and come and find us in the pit city grid live to say hello 